Amen. Church, amen. I need you to tell somebody the title of today's message. So to your left, to your right, tell them nothing else matters. Three words. Tell somebody that right now in this place. Come on. Nothing else matters. And I need you to know something about me, church. I'm going to get a little personal with you here. I, I, I know this for a fact. This isn't even up for debate. It's not an opinion. The Office is the best TV show to ever exist. Amen? Amen. And for any of you that know The Office, you might know what this is right here. This is a Dundee Award, okay? This is a real Dundee Award. I didn't get it from Michael Scott, but I did get it from Amazon. So uh, if you want one, one can be yours for a, a very low price. But The Office is the best show in the world, in my opinion, and because it is, and I have the floor, and we're going to do a little trivia here in this place today, okay? So I'm going to give you an alley-oop. I'm going to give you the alley. I need somebody to oop for me. Who was the one in season two from The Office to win the hottest in The Office award? Does anybody know? Amen. Ryan. Good. Ten points to Gryffindor. Okay. Second question here. This is not as much of an alley-oop, but I'm sure most Office fans will know. Where did Michael Scott move to when he left Dunder Mifflin with Holly to start his new life? Look at this. We got an expert over here. Somebody needs to go to office trivia night with this guy. Okay? And yes, they did go to Colorado to start their new life. And I just need to, I need to also say this right now. Another person is going to Colorado to start their new life. And his name is Russell Wilson. He's QB1 of the Denver Broncos, baby. Let's go. None of you have known me with a QB1, okay? It's, it's Chiefs country in this place, but it's Broncos country right here. So none of you have known me with a QB1. We're going to get to know me. Okay. That has nothing to do with the office, but I just needed to say it because God is good and he answers prayers. That's evidence right there, okay? The third and final trivia question, I, ex I expect, I don't even expect you to know this one, okay? I'm this is a challenge. This is a gauntlet. And I have to actually read it off. The full name of Michael Scott's charity run after hitting Meredith with his car. Does anybody know the full name of the charity run? Do you know it? No? I didn't know it either. I mean, I would consider myself, like, like us right here, we'd be on the same team at the trivia night. I would consider myself an office expert. I didn't know the answer to this question either. And it stumped me, and I actually had a greater appreciation for just how funny the show is after I found out the full name. The full name of Michael Scott's charity run is this. Michael Scott's, Dunder Mifflin, Scranton, Meredith Palmer, Memorial, Celebrity, Rabies Awareness, Fun Run, Pro-Am, Race for the Cure. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Just the writing of that show, and of course, Michael Scott would write that, but... Ultimately, that has nothing to do with anything except for I needed to introduce this Dundee Award to you today because really in our lives, man, there's so many things that we cling to like this Dundee Award, right? I know the people on the office didn't really care about their Dundees. Michael Scott did, but the people on the office didn't really care about them. But man, if I asked you right now, I'm going to set this here. If I said, hey, I need somebody to volunteer to come and, and worship this, this trophy. I need somebody to come and bow and, and, and bow before it and give everything you've got to it, to surrender your life to it. Nobody would do that. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt that nobody would do that unless it was as a joke because that would be ridiculous. It would be foolish for me to even ask that. And the reason that I say that is because there's so many things like that Dundee in our lives that cause us 
to put other things before God. We put a lot of Dundies in this world before Jesus. And in recent weeks, we've been talking a lot about generosity, a lot about giving, a lot about the heart of our king, and the fact that really it has nothing to do with your possessions. It has nothing to do with you giving something to God because he needs it. Monty says this all the time, Pastor Monty. And by the way, Pastor Monty, when you watch this, hi. Say hi to Pastor Monty, everybody. Because he's going to watch it. He's going to watch it. He's going to evaluate me. I know he is. So uh, just really, really thankful for Pastor Monty. Can we give him some honor today? He's awesome. His family, Jody, Jake, Ava, we love you guys. But in recent weeks, we've been talking about these things because why? Because these things capture our heart. And specifically, Monty said it before, Jesus talks about money more than anything else. And why? Because money captures our heart. And I think earthly accomplishments, like sometimes in the church context, we can make it seem like earthly accomplishments are bad. You know, like striving is bad or working hard is bad because you're putting these things before God. And that's not the case. Actually, biblically, we're instructed to work as though working for the Lord, right? And so I I think that it gets kind of lost in the communication a little bit, the fact that, man, we're not necessarily supposed to we're not necessarily supposed to strive and put things above God, and that's what today's message is about. It's about how nothing else matters by comparison. But here's the thing about working for the Lord. If you want to go the Bible route, if you want to say, well, I'm working as though working for the Lord. I'm giving my, my nine to five. I'm giving my extra overtime or whatever. I'm working as though working for the Lord. I think the one question that doesn't often pop up is, well, if the Lord is truly your boss, what are you going to do when he asks you to quit? You know? And, and I've had to encounter that, and many of you have, maybe have as well. But if the Lord asks you to leave everything, if he asks you to give it all up, could you do it? I mean, that's a tough question, and I'll just let you think about it as the air conditioner blows my notes away. But could you do it? I think many of us in this room would honestly say, like, no, I'm going to use the Dundee as a weight. So you'll see it again. But I think many of us would honestly say, no, I wouldn't give up my job. I wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I can't give up my nine to five. I can't give up my salary. I can't give up the thing that has become comfortable to me, the routine, the vices that I've started to enjoy, the things that have become so comfortable here in this world because I've gotten comfortable living in this world. And I think that's fine to be where, where you're at if that's the case for you today. If that's the case for you, that's, that's fine to be there. But we're going to go somewhere together today. And if many of you would say, yeah, if Jesus walked in here right now and said, give it all up, follow me, you'd be like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, who could say no to Jesus, right? I mean, who could say no to him if he came and, and stood and faced you face to face and said, if you give up everything and come follow me, you'll inherit eternal life. I think a lot of us would say, yeah, I'd, I'd be able to do that. And even giving us all the benefit of the doubt, I, I need you to know something. Somebody was given that opportunity face-to-face with Jesus himself, and he asked him to come and follow me, and he didn't do it. The man didn't do it, and that's the story that our message, Nothing Else Matters, is going to be focused on today. It's the story of the rich young ruler. Many of you have maybe heard the story from Matthew chapter 19, so if you've got your Bibles, mobile device, etc., etc., open them up right now. Love it when we bring our Bibles to church. It's a good thing. If not, that's okay. We'll have it on the screen. This story has no real context before or after. And 
I think that's significant, and we're going to talk about that. But typically, we like to set up the message by saying, well, this is what was going on in this person's life before they encountered Jesus, and this is what happened after they encountered Jesus. But for this man, there's nothing. There's nothing. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to start in verse 16. It says, someone came to Jesus with this question, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? I think that's a fair question. If you could discern who Jesus is, if you could understand that, okay, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior of the world, and I get one shot to ask him a question, I'd say that's a pretty good one. Jesus responds, why ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. And the guy's like, well, which ones? There's like 600 some of those commandments, you know? It's not just the Ten Commandments. At this time, there was like 600 plus. So Jesus gives him a specific answer to a very, very specific question. He replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the man says, I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? Isn't that funny? He asked Jesus for a specific answer to a specific question. And Jesus gave him a specific answer, and it wasn't good enough. What else must I do? It turns out he was on to something because Jesus said, If you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. That's a direct invitation from God himself to come and follow. And I don't know if this guy was getting an invitation to be disciple number 13. I don't know if he was just getting invited to be part of the, the many followers that Jesus had at this time. We don't hear about all of them, but there were many beyond the 12 disciples. And he couldn't do it. Spoiler alert, he couldn't do it. The question is why? Why couldn't he do it? Why couldn't he accept the invitation to go be part of this gathering, this following? If he believed that Jesus had the answer to what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, why couldn't he follow him? The problem is, is he preferred his possessions over the perfection that Jesus could give him. The problem is, and this is the main point today, so if you're not writing this down, write it down. If, we're all, li if all we're living for is the treasure of the world, we're missing out on the riches of heaven. I want to say that again. If, if all we're living for is the treasure of the world, we're missing out on the riches of heaven. And not only that, but many, many other people are going to be missing out as well. And that's the unfortunate thing about the rich young ruler, right? We don't know. Like I said, there's no context before or after his story. We have no idea what happened as a result of this because we don't get to go into the alternate universe where he says yes to following Jesus. We don't get to know whether or not him saying yes to Jesus could have prevented Judas from making the biggest mistake of his life. We don't know whether or not him saying yes could have prevented Peter from denying Jesus in front of everybody three times. And we know that God could obviously have accomplished his mission one way or another. But what if he had said yes? What if he said yes to Jesus? I think about that when I read this story and I think about how different things could be. But he didn't say yes because he valued 
the treasure of this world more than he valued the riches of heaven. So this man's got it all, right? By earthly standards anyway. I mean, I read that story and it sounds kind of sad. It sounds kind of somber. But by earthly standards, this is the way the majority of people live every single day of their lives. Saying no to Jesus. Walking away from him. Turning away from him. Saying no to the truly good things. Remember Jesus said, only God is truly good. Saying no to the truly good things for the good things that this world has to offer, which aren't really good at all. So he's been following the commandments, right? As long as he can remember. And let's just give him the benefit of the doubt there. Let's just say he's truly been following the commandments because remember what we learned earlier in this series, love assumes the best. So we're gonna assume the best for him and assume that he's been following the commandments. Plus, I mean, he's got a lot of earthly wealth. He's rich and he's young. But he wasn't willing to give Jesus one thing. He wasn't willing to give his heart. And you can have everything this world has to offer, church. You can have it all. But if God doesn't have your heart, what's it really worth? It's not worth anything. Remember, gain the world, lose your soul? I mean, it's right there. So we're going to get in. What does this man say or do in response? Matthew chapter 19, 22. We've spoiled it. We know that he says no. But why? When the man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. This man couldn't eliminate those good options for the only truly good option. And it's, it's easy to cast judgment, right? It's easy to cast judgment and act like we don't do the same exact thing in our own lives. You know, but how many things take precedence over God every single day? Every week that we come to this place, I say, I say it's a miracle because I believe that it is. I believe it's a miracle that you're sitting here today. I mean, when the, when the clock moves forward, right? We move forward this week, and you show up here for the first service, and let's give, let's give each other some credit for that. That's pretty good. It's a miracle that we're here today, but a lot of times things take precedence over Sunday morning church, and that's not the only way that you can be the church. We know when we leave here is when church really starts, right? But for Sunday mornings, it's kind of a constant bobbing and weaving type of thing. Like, it becomes negotiable when we have events, when our kids have sports, when it's lake season, right? You get to go to the the lake cabin and, and hang out over the weekend. You don't have time to come to church on Sunday morning. Or... Or, how about this, hunting season. That's a big thing here, isn't it? I was at Shields yesterday, and I saw some guy carrying a bow and arrow. Just, just out. He was just walking out of the store with his bow and arrow. He's ready to go. And, and I think, man, like, that makes me think about all the, all the weekends where so many people that are part of the family are gone because of hunting. And I'm not, I'm not trying to judge you for hunting. I'm not trying to judge you for camping. I'm not trying to judge you for fishing or having your kids in sports or having events going on or anything like that. This is not coming from a posture of judgment. It's coming from a posture of what has our heart. If hunting has your heart, you will skip the weekend service because it, somebody can replace me. Somebody can do what I do. Somebody can fill my seat. Somebody can fill my role. And again, I'm not saying that you have to be here 52 weeks a year. But when you start to negotiate those types of things, when you start to say, I'm willing to sacrifice Sunday mornings so that I can have X, Y, or Z, all of a sudden you're saying, well, I, I'm willing to sacrifice 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Everything else gets replaced when we start to negotiate. And I think in the craziness of everything in this life, the disappointing thing, and this is for me as much as it is for anyone, the disappointing thing is that when we start to budget our time and our priorities, that God is often the first thing to get removed. And we talked about giving and and generosity the last few weeks, and when money gets tight, and we've been giving to the church, and it's like, well, money's tight this month. What should we, where do we need to clip on the budget? Well, we don't need to tithe. I mean, it's not, it's not required. It's not like our mortgage that we have to pay. It's not like rent that we have to pay. It's not like our car payment that we have to pay. But what did we find out that that really is? That's stealing. That's stealing from God so that we can live our life comfortably. And again, I'm not trying to say from a judgmental standpoint that you need to, that you need to do something that you're not comfortable with or that doesn't make sense. We talk about doing what makes sense as long as you can, as long as you're pursuing and walking towards obedience. There's a way that's being taught by the world that's so backwards. And that's why we're talking about this in this Flip the Script series. I mean, earthly accomplishments, treasures, status, wealth, everything that replaces God is this trophy right here. It means nothing at the end of all things. At the end of the day, what is this really worth? Is it worth your soul? Is it worth your soul to be the best at what you do? Is it worth your soul to be having your kids in everything and making sure that their time is so consumed by things that they don't understand who their savior is? Because they see you constantly prioritizing everything else in this life. What this trophy really represents Status, status, accomplishments, wealth, everything that replaces God. Another name for that is an idol. And we need to get rid of the idols in our lives. So let me ask a question. What does the Bible tell us happens with the man's wealth? Well, I spoiled that a little bit. We don't have any context before or after the story, so we have absolutely no idea what he did with his wealth. We have absolutely no idea what he did with his possessions. We have absolutely no idea what he did with his life. Why? Because he chose a life in pursuit of possessions, in pursuit of more. And he gave up everything that was eternal. If all you're living for is the treasure of the world, you're missing out on the riches of heaven. What are you investing in? What are you chasing after? Many people are willing to make Jesus their savior, and we gotta celebrate because 502 people at Meadows Church have given their lives to Jesus. It's incredible. It's incredible, it's miraculous, and we celebrate it because it's worth celebrating and because God's word never returns void. So we don't believe any of those decisions was made out of emotion. We believe it was true, genuine Holy Spirit life change. But at the same time, 502 people, I mean, how many of you know this? 502 people don't even attend Meadows Church right now. Isn't that crazy? And there's got to be people that don't know the Lord yet here in this place today, and I'm thankful that you stepped in, that you're pressing in, because that's important. But man, so few people are willing to make that decision. Remember Jesus said the road is narrow, and few will find it. But 502 people have said yes to making Jesus the Savior of their lives, but even fewer people will make him the Lord of their life. And what do I mean by that? If Jesus is your Savior, that means you're going to, you're going to be with him for all eternity, You get to go to heaven. But if he's the Lord of your life, you're living a life of obedience. 
you're living a life that you're pursuing what he wants for you. But even fewer people than that will let Jesus be the treasure of their, of their heart. And that's the craziest thing. That's, that's where the narrow road comes into play. So many people, it's so easy to say, Jesus is my savior. I've got the sticker on my car. I have the Meadows Church merch. I've got the matching sweatsuit. I'm a big Jesus fan. He saved me for all eternity. But then there's fewer people that will serve, and there's fewer people that will give, and there's fewer people that will walk in obedience and do the things that he's asking and calling them to do. But for him to be the treasure of your life, Jesus can't just be number one on your list, church. He has to be the center of everything. He has to be. If he's not the center of everything, we saw what happened. The rich young ruler, he walked away because he couldn't do that one last thing. And I think if any of us had the opportunity to really step in and say, okay, Jesus, what do I need to do to be perfect? I mean, if he asked us, that, that would be compelling, right? It would be hard to turn it down. But if all we're living for is the treasure of the world, we miss out on the riches of heaven. And that's just exactly what Jesus knew about that man's heart. He knew that he wouldn't be able to give it up. And that wasn't from a, a, a malicious standpoint of Jesus going to him and saying, I know you're not going to give this up, so let's, hey, watch this, disciples. I know he's not going to do this. That's not Jesus' heart. His heart isn't that, and that's not the heart of the church either. The heart of the church is not to say, you need to give up all the things that are good and fun in your life, and you need to start serving. You need to start giving. You need to start doing the right thing. You need to start being here on time. You need to start doing things, this, that, and the other. That's not the heart. The heart behind it is that we would find joy. The joy, it was the joy set before Jesus that he gave his life, that he served, that he honored others, that he lived his life in such a way. Remember, it says in, in the word, it says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What if we took that posture with our own lives? That wasn't just Jesus who gets to do that, right? We get to serve. We get to give our lives back to him. Jesus can't just be first in your life. He's got to be at the center. And again, I'm not asking you to quit your job. I'm not asking you to leave here and, and call your boss and be like, hey, I just heard at church that if, if, you know, if I quit my job, then I'll inherit the riches of heaven, so I, I won't be there tomorrow. I'm not asking you to do that, okay? And I, in fact, I would encourage you not to do it. I want you to pray about certain situations in your life. Maybe, maybe God has been tugging at your heart that you need to leave your job. And you haven't been willing to do it because the paycheck is too good or your gig is too comfortable right now. And it just, it just doesn't make earthly sense, even though that, that feeling that's within you, it keeps on coming back. Maybe for somebody else in this place, I just wrote a, I wrote a few things down. This one might cut to the core. But maybe some people in this place need to stop having sex outside of marriage. And that's one thing that you won't give up. And you won't give it up because you're afraid that the other person is going to leave you if you do, if you stop, or if you stop living together because you're so tempted and you ultimately just give into that temptation. And, well, if, if we're getting married, like, what does it matter anyway? I'm just saying, if God's asking you to do that and you're convicted about it, take that step. Take that step to stop. Or maybe it's somebody, somebody here is in pursuit of just constantly having more and more possessions. I know that's something that, that I struggle with a lot of times. It's just like I don't really have many vices. I don't 
I don't go hunting. I don't go camping. That's why I bring those things up because I can't really relate. But I do love stuff. Like, I love clothes. I love, like, I love buying stuff and, and Yeezys. Amen. Amen. Yeezys. Monty made fun of Yeezys last week. I need to bring that up. Monty, he made fun of the Yeezys, and I knew he wore them as a joke. I can't believe that. He always wears the Yeezys here, and then he takes them off and switches them out with other shoes. It's like, man, the Yeezys have become his beaters, but these are Jordans, in case you guys need to know, Jordan 1s. I love shoes. I love having shoes. I love every different type of shoe, but the question is, is am I willing to give up all my shoes if God's like, hey, just so you know, that greed that you have in your heart, it's preventing you from getting to the next level with me. If that's, if that's something that he has to convict me of, then I have to move on from the shoes. I have to let him go. <laughs> what, what was that? Here comes Payless. Exactly. But we all have different things, right? We're all going through different areas and different walks of life where it's like, man, I mean, there's certain things that are limiting us from experiencing all that God has for us. Because like this trophy, we're not willing to give it up. And this trophy, inanimate as it is, we cling to it. We hold it close for fear of what will happen if we let it go. And that's the case with all those things that I mentioned, with our job, with possessions, sex outside of marriage, prioritizing serving in the church. I mean, I'm not giving up my Sunday mornings. Are you kidding me? I'm not giving Attend one, serve one? Nah, it's not for me. Those people show up there like eight something o'clock, seven something o'clock. I'm not doing that. I mean, these are the things that, again, I bring these up not to be offensive or to be judgmental or anything like that. It's going to come across that way to some of you. But what I'm saying is that if Jesus doesn't have your whole heart, you got to put the idol down in every area of your life. This isn't a guilt trip to say, hey, you need to start tithing. You need to start serving. You need to start giving back. You need to start doing something meaningful with your life. You need to give Jesus your whole heart. If you're a follower of Christ, you're modeling something to somebody no matter what. And you have a responsibility no matter what. Somebody is looking at you no matter what. Whether you like it or not, if you say you're one of those 502, I'm one of the 502 that's given my life to Jesus Christ here at Meadows Church. That's amazing. We celebrate it. But what comes after that? What comes after that? Well, what comes after that is what we read in Matthew chapter 19. All right, what do I got to do now, Jesus? All right, don't murder. Got it. Don't steal. Got it. Honor your father and mother. Ah, yeah, whatever. Got it. Sell everything you own and follow me. Oh, shoot. Ah, that's, I, I don't know about that, Jesus. I mean, I know that you can answer the question of what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, but I don't believe that's part, that's not part of it. I mean, I can still do this and be saved for eternity, right? But what does Jesus say? Many will come to me and say, and he'll say, I never knew you. I have no relationship with you because I didn't have your heart. It makes me wonder how this rich young ruler was raised, right? I mean, he was obviously raised to know the right things, to do the right things, to say the right things. He knew the right question to ask. He went to the right person. He was obviously brought up with a lot of Somebody knew something. He has a lot of wealth. But he had head knowledge, not a heart relationship. 
And right before this in Matthew chapter 19, I don't think there's any coincidence that these stories go one after another. It seems like they have absolutely nothing to do with each other. But right before the rich young ruler story in Matthew 19, Jesus has to rebuke his disciples for something. His disciples are scolding parents of children. These parents bring their children to Jesus. They want Jesus to pray for them and bless them. And the disciples start scolding him. They're like, quit wasting Jesus' time, man. What are you doing? Kids are insignificant. Jesus doesn't have time for your kids. Jesus doesn't have time for your problem. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. The kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever met kids, you might not think that's the case. Okay, I have three kids. All of them are nine and under at this point. And I just don't know. I mean, man, is that really what, do they really inherit the kingdom of heaven? I mean, I think about that. I think about the things that they, they learn from such a young age. I mean, they learn how to lie pretty quick. They learn how to at least try to get under your skin pretty quick. They learn to not like each other pretty quick. But at the same time, there's a level of purity in the heart of kids that is unrivaled by comparison to all of us in here. And I'm willing to say that confidently because kids are willing to do pretty much anything out of a place of trust because they don't know any better. And when kids come before Jesus, they come with a posture that's actually kind of crazy. So Matthew chapter 21 is where we're going to jump to next. Matthew chapter 21, verse 15. Again, there's a big difference. I'm t- there's a connection between these two stories, I'm telling you. There's a big difference between the heart of these kids that are being brought to Jesus and the heart of the rich young ruler who brought himself to Jesus. And Matthew chapter 21 gives us a glimpse It says, starting in verse, actually 14, the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant, and they asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied, haven't you read the scriptures? (laughs) I think that's funny. Jesus, I know Jesus would have had such a savage sense of humor. Like, don't you guys read the scriptures? It's like, what do you do here? For they say, you have taught your children and infants to give you praise. When these children are in the presence of Jesus, they praise him. They actually, they actually speak prophecy over Jesus, calling him the son of David. That was a prophecy about who Jesus was. These kids in their heart, they knew it. But the, the Pharisees, the people that are supposed to study the scriptures, are supposed to read the scriptures, don't you, re- don't you guys read? They don't call Jesus the son of David. Why? Because they're missing one thing. Jesus doesn't have their heart. They got all this knowledge. They got all this understanding. But Jesus doesn't have this. For the kids, that's not the case. And that's why I say, what are we modeling in our lives? What are we clinging to? What example are we setting for the next generation? Because not everybody in here is a parent, but I'm telling you right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a spiritual father or a spiritual mother to somebody. And I said that before, we're we're living an example, right? But it's so much more than just being a good person because we know that good people don't go to heaven, safe people go to heaven. And how do we model what it looks like to be a saved person? 
I didn't have this in my notes, but I just thought of this. We know, based on movie depictions, or maybe you've seen this in real life, we know what demonic possession looks like, right? At least to a degree. It's pretty scary. What does Holy Spirit possession look like? And how does that reflect in your own life? What are you teaching the next generation? Are you showing them the most important thing? Are you showing them that nothing else matters by comparison to Jesus? Or are you showing them that a relationship with Christ is negotiable? At what point in our lives does that childlike wonder disappear? At what point does it just vanish, goes away? The hearts of those children praising. The hearts of those kids that Jesus said, no, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. At what point did that disappear from this rich young ruler's life? He was probably taught all his life that this trophy, this is everything that matters. You need to achieve the highest status. You need to be the highest paid. You need to be the most righteous. You need to live by the most commandments. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to be the best. Earn your way to salvation. Learn to be an expert of living the world's way. Cling to this. But unfortunately, he didn't have anything stored up in heaven. He had so much on the earth, everything, but nothing in heaven. Nothing. He had nothing. At least he didn't have the opportunity until he met Jesus, right? He completely forsaken his eternal future to have what he thought was the best temporary here on the earth. If Jesus isn't at the center of your life, what are you moving towards? Again, if all we're living, if all we're living for is the treasure of the world, we're missing out on the riches of heaven. And the riches of heaven, I want to tell you this, you can look this up in scripture, but scripture says that God's great inheritance is you. It's me. It's us. The riches of heaven, I talked about this at my life group this week. I was like thinking to myself, like, well, what is the riches of heaven? And I think, start to think about like revelation and all the crazy stuff that they see. But that's the earthly mindset again creeping in, isn't it? It's the gemstones. It's the gold, the streets of gold. It's this, that, and the other. No. The riches of heaven is us. That we would be there for all eternity with Jesus Christ. I know for me, like, I've been part of the church for a really long time. As long as I can remember, like my parents, by the way, many of you don't know this, my, like a lot of my family is here. That's my brother, Bryce. My dad, Phil, plays the drums every once in a while. So we've been part of the church for a really, really long time, and I realize that's not everybody's upbringing, which is fine. That's, that's okay. But I think for me, I've been around the church long enough to have seen when kids get brought up in the church the rules and regiment and, and things that you have to do to strive for in the church, just, just, just putting on even the Sunday service, just putting this all together, it weighs so heavily on kids. As you see them grow up, you see them grow into a, a posture of resentment towards the church. You see them grow into a posture of just like, I want absolutely nothing to do with that. Maybe many of you know, or maybe you are a pastor's kid who, like, that was your story. Like, I just, I, I don't want anything to do with it. Like, I've been around it for long enough. Like, I've done, done my time. 
And I'd be lying if I said, like, that didn't cross my mind about my three kids and, and our journey. Like, we're here every single week, not because we have to be, but because we love Jesus and, and we want to, we moved here for this. Like, we moved from Sioux Falls to be part of Meadows Church. But a lot of times, like, my thing, and I said possessions earlier, the other thing that I really struggle with is, like, is striving and doing. I'm a doer. And I, bordering on like a yes, yes, man, you know, like I'll do almost anything that is asked of me because if it needs to get done, I know that I'll do it well. And so I will do, I'll just do it. And I fill up my, my time and my space with doing and striving that sometimes I wonder like, are my kids really seeing a healthy picture of what a relationship with Christ looks like? And I think that's a healthy place to be of just being able to like reflect on that and stop and pause, but you do have to think about it. And again, even if you're not parents, you're modeling this for somebody else in your life. But I, I try to do the right things, right? I pray for my kids. You know, we, we pray together every single day. When taking our daughter to school, we pray. The kids even take turns praying. They'll, they'll lead the prayers sometimes, and, and they love doing that. We read the word at night, and I pray the same things that, that were prayed over me as a kid. My, my mom and dad, we prayed every single day. God, help us to become wise, strong, discerning leaders among our peers. Keep us from evil that we may not cause pain. And I, I think about those kind of things, and I pray, I pray every single day, God, help my kids, Mila, Cruz, Leah, help them fall more and more in love with you than I ever could. Because we want what's best for our kids, right? And so I want them to be more in love with Jesus. I want them to change the world because of their love for Jesus. And then it's like the Holy Spirit always smacks me right upside the head. He's like, hey, don't forget about you too, man. You gotta do this too. It's not just your kids. You gotta do it too. And I'm like, you're right, you're right, you're right. But again, it's not about doing. It's about a heart relationship with Jesus. And when your heart is right with Jesus and you believe what you pray, you don't have to worry about those other things. Those things that I worry about, like kids resenting the church or kids growing up in just like a posture of like, I don't, I've seen what it did to my mom and dad. I want nothing to do with it. Because that happens, unfortunately. It does happen. But we gotta believe that if we can sow into these kids the love of Christ, right, that they will change the world, that the next generation will change the world because at Meadows Church, I'm believing and we're doing, we're doing the right things. And again, if you're a, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a spiritual mother or father to somebody. And we have a lot of youth in this church that are struggling with a lot of things. I mean, just in general, youth struggle with insecurity, identity, depression, anxiety, whether or not I'll fit in. Does my life even have value? Those are the things that they question. And I think we can kind of relate to that, right? Because we grew up the same. You know, we, we get it. But I just remember those feelings going, rushing through me as I was in the youth group growing up. And I didn't really want to be there, to be honest with you. I didn't want to be at youth group because my friends were out going out to eat, hanging out with girls, doing whatever, you know, doing the fun stuff, playing Madden, playing video games. They got to do all the fun stuff while I had to go to church. I had to be on the youth worship team. And I didn't want to be there, and I made sure that everyone knew about it not because I was being a jerk or anything like that, but just because I didn't really care. I didn't really care to be there, and so that's the way that I acted. And I'll never forget, being in, in youth ministry, I had this amazing leader, 
and his name is Jared. And I know Jared's gonna listen to this too because he texted me the last time I preached back in January. He texted me. I've known Jared, this goes back 16, 17 years ago. And it's not like Jared and I live in the same city. It's not like we hang out. It's not like we text each other every single day or text each other every single week. But this guy who was a youth leader for me, who showed up every single week and gave his time, gave his life, texted me and he's like, man, it was so cool to hear you preach a message, you know. I mean, I'm sure it was crazy for him seeing this kid who he used to hang out with and formed a sports life group with me and a couple of other kids because we had a common bond there. I'm sure it was crazy for him to see me doing this, but he has always believed that about me. He's always been there to encourage. He's always been there for every big moment of my life. He's texted me. And I don't hear from him that often, but I still hear from him. And, and I, I tell you that story because I feel like there's so many kids in our lives that are missing out on people like Jared because selfishly, many of us, when Jesus says, I want you to give up your Wednesday night and I want you to come serve at youth, we're like, oh, I can't give that up. Sorry, can't do it. I can't give it up. And we don't think about the reciprocal effects of what saying no means because we assume that somebody is gonna step into the spot. We assume that somebody's gonna take that role. We assume that, well, that's just a, a role that's gonna eventually be filled by somebody. Somebody's gonna do it. But students are missing out on people like Jared because we're not willing to say yes to giving God our whole heart, to giving him everything. In some cases, our no has eternal consequences. And we have to be aware of that. And I had somebody like Jared, maybe you didn't. I had a group that I could go to that, I, that actually built my confidence, a place where I could go to feel like, man, I actually belong in this place. Like I actually started liking going to youth group. I looked forward to my conversations with Jared. I looked forward to hanging out with the other people in my group that I would have otherwise never talked to because I had no confidence to go up to them and say anything. And I think to myself, man, like, we have those opportunities here today. Many of you are struggling with the same things that I just mentioned, identity, value, self-worth. You don't know how to, how to get into community. And that's why I want to I bring up the, the life group study that we're about to be doing. Eight weeks of the whole in our gospel. And you have an opportunity to step into a life group. And there's going to be sign-up sheets outside the door. And if none of those work for your schedule, you can start a group all your own. And it doesn't even have to go beyond the eight weeks. We hope that it does. But it doesn't even have to go beyond the eight weeks. But we know that, man, we need to do life together. we got to stop isolating ourselves there's a big difference between isolation and having time of solitude with God, right? Big difference. For parents, keep coming to church. I'm so proud of all of us just for being here today. If you are a parent and you brought your kid to church today, that's awesome. Keep doing it. Consistency is a big, big deal. Consistency is a big, big deal. And check your kids into the amazing kids ministry. I can vouch for the kids ministry because I know who leads it. It's my wife, Bethany. Yeah, she's good. And we have a lot of amazing kids leaders in this room right now. And they love to value your kids. They love to pour into your kids. So keep bringing your kids. Keep checking them in. 
And I also want to encourage you to serve at youth. Maybe me bringing that up today. Yeah, amen. Serve at youth because you know what? Students from the ages of like 12 to 17, statistics will show you that if they haven't made a decision for Christ by the time they leave high school, it ain't happening. Because the world is telling these students to live their truth, to live a certain way, to become the star of their own show called life. We need people that are willing to pour into youth and just show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. Paul said something in scripture that, again, this isn't in my notes, but man, this is huge. Paul said something that seems arrogant to say, but it's, it's absolutely perfect. And he was able to truly say this. Follow me as I follow Christ. How many of us can accurately say that about our own lives? Follow me as I follow Christ. I have that as a goal. You know, I want to be able to say that. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not perfect by any means. Far from it. Far from it. But that's a good thing to strive for. Follow me as I follow Christ. For others in this place today, man, you know exactly what you need to do, and that's commit to Jesus Christ. Like the rich young ruler had the opportunity to lay everything down at the feet of Jesus and say, all right, I'll give, every, I'll give up everything I have. I'll sell it all to, and give the money to the poor, and I'll come follow you. That's your step today, is to surrender to Jesus. If you're watching online, I choose Jesus. Type it in the comments. Text it to 474747. In the room, we have green Connect cards. And if that's you today, that you want to make the decision to take that step, to do what that rich young ruler couldn't do, there's a reason that story is included in Matthew with no context before or after, like I said. The reason that story is included because all of us are going to have that same opportunity to do what he did. The disciples, at least for a time, they gave up everything to follow Jesus. They knew what that looked like. This man, he couldn't do it. Today is your day to do it. So fill it out on that green connect card. I choose Jesus. I want to I follow Jesus or I'm renewing my commitment to follow Jesus and come and bring that to a prayer warrior or bring it to guest services before you leave. Do something today. There's dream team cards that you can write down. Youth, like you want to serve in youth, you want to pour into the youth. There's dream team cards you can write down. I want to serve in kids. Do that today. Don't linger any longer. I hope that this, I hope that this message has, if anything else, if nothing else, like put the trophy down at the altar. Give it over to him. Stop clinging to the things that don't matter. Stop holding on to the things that you won't take with you when you leave this earth. Give your life to Jesus today. Surrender everything to him. I want to pray for us. And just thank God for what he's doing today. So can we give God praise for anybody here today who's giving their life to Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. God, thank you. Thank you so much just for the opportunity to come before you, for the opportunity to, to, to worship you and you alone. God, I know that I get it twisted. Many of us get it twisted. We make it here on Sunday, and then by Monday, we've just completely fallen off. 
But God, I'm believing that today is a new day, that we're gonna start good habits today, that we're gonna surrender everything to you today, that we're gonna give our lives in service to you today, that we're gonna make a decision to follow Jesus, that we're gonna make the decision to serve, to get into a life group, that we're gonna make the decision, Jesus, to do anything that we can to make you the center of our life, the treasure. God, thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your kindness. And thank you for just going forth today and believing in us enough that you would give us breath in our lungs and a beating heart that we could do something here in this world that makes eternal difference. And I know that all of us at our core, we'd much rather make an eternal difference than, than say no and, and, man, everything have eternal consequences. Jesus, we need to take you seriously and, we, and we just, we're so in awe of who you are and how much you love us. Nothing else matters. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.